Spirituality and the Nebraska Life Podcast. You're listening to episode five called The Summer of the Root Chakra. Okay, group, I was practicing this and I was going over time. Like, I try to keep these between 25 and 30 minutes so that you can conveniently listen to them. So today I don't have a quick little, I had planned a quick little beginning thing, you know, that was funny, but I don't have time. I have too much to talk about about meditation. So this is going to be 100% serious. No funny. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, But I don't, I'm not going to read Cosmo or do anything like that. Stay tuned for next time. But today I want to cover a lot of stuff (laughs) about meditation and my experience about projecting or embodying who I am and who I want to be. So I'm going to jump right in. If you listened last week, um, you might recall that I spent, um, I took a 60-hour online meditation class at the end of May, and um, it's for yoga teacher train, yoga, yoga, teacher trainees, um, or anyone interested in deepening their practice. And I am actually taking yoga teacher training from the Lincoln Yoga Center in September. But I also want to do this online program. And even though this class was, quote unquote, advanced for me, it was like another level, I really felt called to take it. So I did. And at the end of the session, um, our instructor, our online instructor told us to teach meditation. And, you know, I am not a yoga teacher yet, at least officially, but I'm trying to teach meditation through the platform I do have, which is this Sex and Spirituality podcast. So I'm going to continue with teaching meditation. So listen up, you guys. That's that's a lot what meditation is. I don't think I said this last time, but even if I did, it's worth repeating. Someone asked what the difference between prayer and meditation was, and our instructor said prayer is talking with the divine and meditation is listening. So uh, 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 listen up to that. Um, So I'm going to teach a little bit. You know, I am very, very much a learner myself, but here's what what I've learned as I've been working on this meditation. So what I was most excited about with the my, this meditation class was the email we got at the very end of the class, and the subject heading was Closing Circles and Next Steps. And at first we were instructed to do, there are these things called sadhanas. And again, my Sanskrit is obviously non-existent. But as far as I can tell, a sadhana is like the, um, the daily practice. So when I was taking this class, there were 
eight set eight different sadhanas, eight different techniques of meditation. And each morning we were supposed to do on our own a the sadhana and like follow the the video with the the mantras and the breath and and the movement if there was some movement and the mudras like how you hold your your hands. I think that <laughs> that's how I understand it. But anyway, so when the class was winding down, we're instructed to do a 40-day sadhana where we do each of these eight meditations techniques for five days each. So we do five of the first one, five of the second one, five of the third one. And then this is where I get, this is like all my favorite things converging. When we're done with the 40 days, we have to write an essay about our experience and send it to our instructor. Then we get a certificate. So I am right in the middle of my 40 days sadhanas. And I'm very excited to write my essay. I already I have some ideas. I'll get to that in a minute. But beyond that, she says, after the 40 days, we're supposed to pick the technique that really worked for us and then do that for 90 days, which my little heart just leapt at this stuff because, you know, I want a lifestyle. Like, I really want to just, like, be a thing. And so I'm going to try to be someone who meditates, and I'm working on teaching meditation. So I really feel, and this is kind of an ongoing thing, like I feel like my strongest calling, and you know the word vocation means like calling, it's related to, maybe you've never noticed this, like voice, like vox, vocation, vocal. I feel called to be like a a theologian. I actually... um, Someone asked me, do you feel like the strongest, like you're a quote unquote writer? And I do, I, but I feel even stronger that I'm like a, a theologian or, I don't know, again, I dare, dare I say mystic, but I feel like the spiritual call is, is the strongest. And I told my sister, and sometimes these things just come out, you know, I said, I want to be a spiritual leader more than anything else. So, whoo. So thinking about my essay for this yoga, this meditation class, um, when I was in grad school, I loved writing. Well, I'm still in grad school. Excuse me. When I was doing, as they say, my coursework, I loved writing my papers. <laughs> I miss writing those papers for those classes. And, you know, we'd get the topic or whatever we were supposed to write about. It was always very broad, which is good for me. And I would, you know, think about it, think about it. And all of a sudden, my idea would just come to me. And I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to write about. And um, I always, like, I loved writing my papers. And they pretty much all the time went really well because I really worked from the heart. Like, I really knew what I wanted to say. So I was thinking about my 40-day sadhana essay and what I was going to write about. Once I was Several days in, it just came to me like a seminar paper in grad school. (laughs) It just came to me that I was going to write about the root chakra. I was going to call this, this is going to be for me, the summer of the root chakra, which you may not know is, and there, you know, there's several different, I love all this stuff because, you know, I love things that there's no one right definition or one way of doing it. I really do not do well with a, this is how you do it. Ugh. 
So the root chakra, you can think of it in several ways. You can think of it as the base of your body, like the, the base of your spine. Um, or you can call it the perineum. <laughs> that clears it up, huh? <laughs> I think I'm saying that word, um, perineum, which I looked up and get this. It is defined as the area between the anus and the scrotum or vulva. I always want to say Volvo, you know, the the scrotum or vulva. It, quote, this is again the definition, like the first thing that came up when I typed it in my phone. It contains structures that support the urogenital and gastrointestinal systems. Again, urogenital, when I first heard that, I heard that in a yoga video, and I was like, does that have to do with, like, Europe? Like, Eurasia? And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. But euro is like urethra, <laughs> like U-R-O-genital. All right, anyway, let me say that again. It contains structures that support the urogenital and gastrointestinal systems, and it therefore plays an important role in functions such as micturition, defecation, sexual intercourse, and childbirth. <laughs> and I had to look up micturition. I was like, what is that? And guess what it means? A dramatic pause. It means the act of urinating. Mm. So anyway, this is obviously a huge part of the body. Like all these things, this is urinating, defecating, sex, and childbirth. I mean, these are like the primal things of life. And yet, at least in my experience, the perineum rarely, if ever, is discussed. So I decided to devote this summer to my root chakra or my perineum um, and just get to know it. Because, you know... I feel like this is, this. Uh, there's just so much, and I'll get to this in a minute, there's just so much going on in that area. And at least for me, when I was so disconnected from my body for so long, I feel like that's a good place to start. Like it's, it's the foundation of things. So I'm going to begin there with my root chakra, like the, the, the bottom. And then, you know, we'll, we'll move up perhaps, or maybe I will devote my whole study to the root chakra or the perineum. So speaking of my sister, I was telling her about my meditation. You know, I always talk about all the stuff I'm learning to people in my life. And she suggested that I teach meditation to my family when we go on a trip, which we're going to do later this summer, just in a few weeks. And again, this is a Nebraska Life podcast. And, you know, I was raised in a real strong Protestant family, <laughs> went to church every Sunday, every Sunday. But I don't think I we have very much experience. I know I don't. And I've never seen anyone else in my family meditate. Um, so I think it's a new experience. And I was telling a friend about this. And, you know, luckily, let me lean into the microphone. Luckily, my dad doesn't listen to my podcast because I was thinking, just imagining my dad in like a, you know, like I've said, he's a farmer. He's like a rural Nebraska farmer. And here I am imagining him on the lawn in um, the meditative position and me saying, all right, dad, we're going to focus on your perineum. I'll be like, that's, that's the area between your, um, your genitals and your anus, dad. <laughs> I actually thought of titling this um, 
episode, my dad's perineum or even <laughs> my dad's anus. But that, see, this is getting too, too, maybe going a little too far, but it's kind of like the, my family likes to play the game 20 questions, and I could just see this kind of thing coming up like, um, is it a person? Um, kind of. Is it alive? Yes. Is it bigger than a bread box? No. <laughs> is it in Nebraska? Yes. <laughs> is it in this room? Yes. Is it dad? Sort of. Is it dad's mustache? <laughs> no. <laughs> and we'd eventually get it down to, is it dad's perineum? Yes. <laughs> but anyway, this is me like projecting what I want to teach um, my family. But I'll just make this, you know, for now, I can only speak to myself. And I'm going to focus on my own perineum, my own roots. And all this started when I was doing one of the meditations, I had my hands up in the mudra, I was sitting in a nice, comfortable cross legged position, as they say, and I could really and you know, we sit there for a long time, like part of it is just being still. And I could really feel and this is like, kind of shocking because I literally never thought about my, I don't know, it's almost the pelvic floor, but they say it's like lower than the pelvic floor. Once I decided to devote myself to my perineum or my root chakra, I started, I, I subscribed to glow.com and I just typed in root chakra and several things came up. So I did this one 15 minute root chakra meditation. And this woman is saying that like the yogis or this great tradition says that the, the root chakra actually starts three fists below your body, like in the earth. So again, this goes back to a lot of concepts, even, you know, in the, the Christian Bible about Adam and Eve or Adam, at least coming from the earth. And, you know, Eve was taken from him, like we're very connected to the earth. And this is what this is teaching too. So anyway, my own perineum, I was sitting in that position, and I could really feel it. And then I decided to look up like what that was, you know, I haven't looked up anything or thought really about anatomy since <laughs> 12th grade advanced biology. But this is what I mean. This is kind of the cultural shift I'm fighting for group. I mean, so much of what we do is for just like a test, you know, like I would study whatever the parts of the body for a test for a grade. And now it's like, who cares? But when you're thinking about like your spirituality, and you know, joining with the divine, I think suddenly anatomy becomes, at least to me, way more interesting, and way more important. I don't know. Easy for me to say. I just did a big speech about how I identify as a theologian, and I will say surgeons and medical doctors. Okay, okay, we need you too. <laughs> but I personally feel called to talk about anatomy in, in spiritual terms. So I feel good about, you know, this is what we might call exploring down there. Because I feel like it's important, speaking only for myself, for me to open myself up to my animal nature. So to shift gears just a little bit, you know, I get very excited about yoga. As you can tell, when I make this podcast, we're supposed to kind of, I'm supposed to keep an eye on the volume. And, if, and you're supposed to like not let it go into the red. <laughs> a couple times I've gotten red <laughs> 
like the alert, like too loud, because <laughs> I'm getting so excited about this topic. But calm down, like in Mary Poppins, you know, come down from the ceiling a little bit. Um, because here's the thing, you know, I really, I am aware of cultural appropriation, and I certainly don't want to do that. Like, I, I hope to approach yoga and my own studies of non-Western spirituality in a very respectful way. And I'm always kind of looking for connections I could make to to my roots. I mean, that's what the root chakra is. Like, I had never thought about that either until I was watching a Yoga with Adrian video and about the root chakra. I looked up what she had to say about it, and she was talking about, like, her own ancestors as the, the roots and the root chakra. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. And it's perfect because I'm actually writing a memoir about my family. <laughs> so <laughs> perfect. And I, I need to have a rough draft done by the middle of August. So this is perfect to be doing a root chakra summer because it's all about the roots this summer. So anyway, I was trying, I'm trying to think like, is there anything that will help me from my my own um, culture of nurture. You know, if you go far back, far back enough, I suppose my culture, see, you know, you don't really, you can't really go back that far before you don't know anything. I mean, my roots, roots, roots are probably, you know, Vikings or <laughs> Druids. <laughs> and I don't know, can you find a, I'm sure you can find like the spiritual practice of Druids online. But I, I'm just not, not into that at this point in my life. I feel really strongly about my yoga studies and also, you know, trying to, trying to connect it with my, the culture that I am more familiar with. The culture, at least in the you know, last several hundred years, I assume that my family is quote-unquote culturally Christian. But here's the thing, group. This is what I struggle with, like... I wish it weren't so. And there is this song of songs, which I think is, I mean, I'm going to do a whole episode on that. So that is very, as we, me, we moderns would say, sex positive. But I'm no huge expert on the Bible. But something I think I can say with some confidence is that the Bible is not about sexually empowered females. Like, quite the opposite. <laughs> so I recently looked up, um, this is literally what I tapped into my search engine. What does the Bible say about nipples? <laughs> because I actually have really nice nipples. And when I hold these meditation positions, this, happen this has happened to me many times. I really feel the energy in, like, my root chakra and in my breasts. Like, if you want a visual, you can imagine light emanating out of my nipples. I, I am serious. Like, I thought of those old um, ancient, like, goddess statues. Like, that literally came to mind. You used to see these fertility goddesses, and ancient people would, like, you know, the Bible would call those idols, but they they made sculptures like celebrating the human body, the female body. And I'm like, where did that go? But anyway, I can really connected to the, I really connect to my goddess energy. So, you know, I'm always trying with the Bible, trying to give it a chance. And so I'm like, what does the Bible say about nipples? And it led me to Ezekiel 
23. And I looked this up in several translations. And here's the story. I'm going to quote some from the Bible. You can see my voice gets a little less excited because... And uh, I'll be honest here, group. This is actually the third time I've tried to record this particular section of the the podcast because I'm talking about the Bible. And, you know, again, I have to tell you, I have to be um, honest about my many shortcomings. And one of them is that I'm not as familiar with the Bible as I should be. Like, um, you know, regardless or irregardless, it is the the foundational scripture of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And I, you know, I know all the, or most of the famous stories about, you know, Noah, etc. And I've read the Gospels and I went to church my whole life. And so I know, uh, you know, quite a bit. I I read the Psalms. Um, I, I go through fits and starts of reading it and committing to it, but I've never read the whole thing. I've never been like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. Like, I actually have a lot of respect. You know, I don't know how many people out there can do this anymore, but I've read enough about the past that, you know, people, at least in, you know, rural Nebraska, like I'm, I'm thinking of, I don't know, Willa Cather times, I bet a lot of people, like maybe the Bible was one of the few books they owned, and they just had a deep knowledge of it. And I'm not like that. Like, I, I couldn't, point myself to Ezekiel 23 when I was (laughs) doing my search for what I was looking for. So I feel a little uncomfortable talking about the Bible because I don't know it as well as I could, or maybe should, because again, as a a theologian, I can, I, I do believe in the, the holiness of a lot of things. Like, I don't think, um, the Bible is exclusively holy. And one of my, um, ideas or major points I want to make on this podcast is I take what is traditional authority, like the Bible, quote-unquote authority, and check it against my own experience. And then I'm like, does my experience validate what just happened in the Bible or not? And in this particular case, the answer is a resounding no. So when I looked up, because I have the the holiness (laughs) I really believe in the holiness of my nipples. I've talked before about my beautiful breasts. It's true. It's true. So I think about like the the power of my nipples when I do yoga. It's like my perineum. There's a lot of holiness in the body. So I was looking up, what does the Bible say about nipples? And it led me to Ezekiel 23. And since this is my third third run through trying to tell this part, um, I can paraphrase a bit. It's about two sisters who were um, prostitutes in Egypt in their younger days. And it, the one translation talks about their nubile breasts that they allowed to be fondled in their youth. I didn't know what nubile was, so I looked it up. And it means, um, like, suitable for a, a young young woman who is just, who's well-developed enough, like her breasts are developed so that she is, quote, suitable for marriage. It actually become, comes from the, the root of the word, um, like, to be unveiled for a bridegroom. That's interesting, as in, like, her body is developed enough that it is ready for a man. So that's what nubile means. And these two sisters allowed... Um, their breasts to be fondled by Egyptians when they were young, young girls or young women. 
And then as they got older, I mean, these these two sisters are portrayed as like these women that I think, like reading it as a modern person, they look, they seem very sexually empowered. Like they they see guys that they want and they go after them. And, you know, they're, they're going after what what we would call maybe ballers. Like the they lusted after um, the Assyrian warriors dressed in fine blue cloth, governors and officers, charioteers and horsemen, all of them the most handsome of men. This is particularly about the older sister. It says, she sought them out to seduce them, all of them men of the highest rank in Assyria. Men, God says, through, through Ezekiel. But she never gave up with her promiscuities with the Egyptians. So as far as I can understand, she's, you know, seducing and like in charge of her own sexuality, these um, men that she's attracted to, and also these Egyptians. So, and this is a little, seemed unclear to me. I was like, can that be right? But the translation said that God... He, like in this part, God is narrating through Ezekiel, and he says, I, so I, God says, gave her over to her Assyrian lovers and kind of told, told them that she was also with the Egyptians. And then they stripped her naked. This is her, her Assyrian lovers. They stripped her naked, took her sons and daughters, and killed her with the sword. And she became notorious among women for the punishments they enacted against her. And then it talks about her younger sister who was uh, proceeded to outdo her sister in her lust and in her seductions. And then in, uh, even worse, fate befell her. Um, the Lord God proclaims, bring up an assembly against them and decree terror and plunder for them. Let the assembly stone them. Let them carve them up with their swords, slay their sons and daughters, and burn their houses with fire. So I will put an end to the betrayal in the land, taking warning. No woman will betray as you have done. You will be held accountable for your betrayals, and you will bear the sins of your idols. Then you will know that I am the Lord God. So there's a lot to say about that. Um, I guess I'll start with there. I, I respect the Bible a lot as literature. There are a lot of very interesting themes in it. You know, family relationships, the relationship between God and men. There's a, a natural theme um, or a theme of nature. You know, and then you have the Gospels, which, as I said, overturning traditional power structures. There's, there's a lot going on in the Bible. It's fantastic, beautiful, complex literature. But I think it's safe to say that one of the themes is the strength of the patriarchy. That, that men are the ones with the power and the authority. And these women in Ezekiel kind of have their own, they're exercising their power, like from their breasts, which I believe. I mean, again, I didn't know my breasts had so much power. And now, like, I, I embrace them, like I dress differently, like I, I feel them as part of my beauty and I enjoy it. Like, it feels right. So that's where I feel like, if a woman today, and I recognize this is, you know, a couple thousand years after Ezekiel, more, more than that probably, but, you know, if a woman today is looking for um, spiritual, quote-unquote, authority on how to conduct herself in a, 
as a sexual being, I don't think a lot of the Bible is very helpful in that area. So again, I tested it against my own experience, and I feel like I discussed these things with the divine. Like the Lord God, according to Ezekiel, says that these women must be stoned for their behavior. But when I pray, the Lord God or the divine is really supporting me and my, my femininity and my growth as a sexual being and my just awareness of this part of life that I was unaware of for, for so long. And, you know, many things came into it, but I think one, one factor is the massive, even now, authority of the Bible on how women should behave. And just um, th- that particular part doesn't seem very relevant to me at this point. So to go back to the root chakra, I was doing another yoga, and it was called it was a Kundalini yoga to to create your future, and you're supposed to visualize who you want to be. And I was visualizing myself through my mantra: "I am feminine. I am sexy." I am strong. We did 45 minutes of breath work, and you're supposed to project your current self with your future self, like like imagining a rainbow connecting them. And I did. And then I went out in the world, and I was that person, feminine, sexy, and strong. I wore this jumpsuit that I got at a boutique in Omaha like a couple weeks ago. And I just, I was like, when should I wear this? How about today? And it's off the shoulder, you guys. I didn't even know it was going to do that until I put it on. I thought it was a dress, but it had pants. <laughs> and then it was off the shoulder. And it looks fantastic. And I went to the library that day to get a, a memoir that I'm working on for my dissertation. And I was checking it out. And this woman standing there said, I like your shirt. And then I turned and she goes, your dress? And I go, well, I thought it was a dress, but it's actually a jumpsuit. And she said, well, I love it. It's amazing. And I can safely say that no outfit of mine has ever been called amazing. But I really think that my root is who I am. Like, I think when we're projecting our future self, we're actually coming back to who we really are maybe before all the social conditioning. At least, again, I can only talk from my own experience. I'm no authority on the Bible, but I am an authority on my own experience, and it feels right. It feels like my root and the divine were in this together. So, woo, that's all I got to say about this. I hope you have been—I'm getting all worked up. I always get all worked up about my subjects. Hmm. Anyway, hope this this uh, episode has has— Um, helped you in some way. Let me know what you think. Check out my Facebook page at Reverse Farm Girl. Um, I got to tell you, I'm still working on my web presence. It's a a work in progress. So stay tuned for that. And as LeVar Burton, my beloved host of Reading Rainbow, always used to say, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Thank you to Katie Nealon for my logo. Thank you to Garrett Hope for my theme music. And thank you to KZUM for the platform and opportunity.